Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 9 through 18. He came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord suddenly came to him saying, Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is passing by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains and shattered rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft, whispering voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. Then a voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the wilderness of Damascus. When you get there, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You will also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved in Israel 7,000 whose knees have not been bent to Baal and whose lips have not kissed him. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever zealously served the Lord and his church with something that suddenly others condemned you for and stood against you? Have you ever served on council or something and come to know what burnout is? I've had Sunday school teachers tell me, Pastor, I worked so hard and I found all these gems in this lesson. I studied it. I put eight hours on Friday evening in working on this. And nobody told me it was the big basketball tournament and none of my kids show up. Pastor, I saw this thing that needed fixed in the church. If it wasn't fixed, we were going to have a problem. And then afterwards, half the church said, well, why did you fix that? They didn't care that I preserved a bigger problem. If we'd have known the toilet was leaking, we'd have put a new toilet or something in it. Elijah, in working for the Lord, definitely knew what we call today burnout. And our sermon theme for today is to encourage you that our work in the Lord is not in vain. Now, before we jump into the text, we've got to understand the background and how all this happened. Recall that after King Solomon, David's son, dies, in, in his son, Rehoboam's time, there is a civil war and the nation is split. The temple, that's the southern kingdom where the temple was in Jerusalem, that remains the smaller portion and that's Judah. The northern portion retains the name Israel. And the problem is, in Israel, if all your people are going down to Jerusalem at least once a year to make a sacrifice for their sin or to present the offerings when their firstborn is born and all that, guess where their loyalties are going to lie? So the king sets up a false worship, ironically a worship that involves golden calves. 
In this way, he can keep the people separate from Jerusalem. And this is why eventually when Jesus comes to that well, there's a Samaritan woman who asks him, where is the right place to worship the Lord? Now, that northern kingdom turned their backs on God. And in fact, eventually a king who his wife really wears the pants in their family. He marries the king of Phoenicia's daughter, Jezebel. And she is a devout Baal worshiper. Baal is the god of rain. And rain is how he fertilizes the earth. And so you have to have temple prostitutes and stuff to worship him. So besides the fact that they're worshiping a false god, there's other especially detestable things. So God uses the prophet Elijah. He says, you want to worship a god that doesn't even exist with all the detestable practices? You think he's the god of rain? Fine. God sends a drought for seven years. Ironically, this is where Elijah ends up in the widow of Zarephat, who's a Phoenician, and she ends up becoming converted while another Phoenician, Jezebel, is leading the people astray. Well, after a long time, after the seven years is over, Elijah challenges the Baal prophets, 450 of them. Let's have a showdown. You guys pick the place. I'll let you pick the sacrifice you want. We'll both build altars. And whoever's God starts the fire, starts the altar, will say that's the true God. 450 Baal prophets scream out and pray all day. They get desperate. They start cutting each other and everything. Elijah taunts them when he says in Hebrew, cry out louder. Maybe he's busy. That's the kind of busy when the child answers the phone. Somebody's calling for their parent and they say he's busy because he's in the bathroom. Elijah makes it even clearer God's the true God. He dumps over 20 gallons of water on the sacrifice. And he prays to the Lord once, whammo! Lightning strikes and it lights up. And everybody now knows that Baal is not the true God. And Elijah tells the people, the lay people, kill those prophets. 450 Baal prophets are slain that day. And then a cloud comes and rain comes, ending the seven years. You would think with such a display of power and almost wiping out all the priests and the Baal worship in one day that the people of Israel would be like, Hallelujah, this is the true God, and repent. Instead, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah. By this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. You killed my prophets. I'm getting even. Elijah had done all those miracles. In fact, there had not been so many miracles seen in Israel since Moses. And they would not be seen again until the time of Jesus. I don't think Elijah was afraid that Jezebel was going to take his life. I honestly think it was just stepping back and seeing the people. Oh, okay. Shrug their shoulders and walk off. And she's still in power. Oh. Make a long story short, he finds himself on Mount Sinai. That's where our text begins. And then Elijah came there to the cave. And the Hebrew has the definite article here. This was a well-known cave. Chances are this is that cleft that God put Moses when Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God says, you cannot see all of my glory and live, but I'll let you see just a, a, a back glimpse and puts him into that cleft. That's probably the cave that Elijah's in. And he stayed the night there and paid close attention. The word of the Lord came to him and the Lord said to him, what is there for you here, Elijah? Literally, the Hebrew says, what is there for you here? And we translate in good English, why are you here? But that's something for us to remember. Have you been the person who burns an honest servant in the Lord out because of your legalism? 
Maybe you should ask, what is God actually doing here? Is my zeal misplaced? Have you been the person burned out? Maybe you should ask when you're upset, am I doing the wrong thing? See, Elijah was a prophet. He was supposed to be sharing the word of God with the people. There are a lot of things we can get those who proclaim the word of God, be it Sunday school teachers or elders. We can get them hung up on a lot of things that maybe serve the word of God, but they're not directly serving it. Maybe we need to ask, what is there for them here? Is this something we really need? Is this the way to bind up a servant of the Lord? And when we ourselves are burned out, maybe we need to ask, what am I doing out here alone? God has sent me to share his word. God gives Elijah a chance. He doesn't just beat him over the law and say, get out of here, get back to work. He listens. Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of multitudes because the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And so I alone remain all by myself. And they're even taking my soul or my very existence in order to take it. The word that the Hebrew uses, which is soul that Elijah uses, means they don't just want to kill me. They want to exterminate me. They want to get rid of my work. Then the Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord and pay very close attention for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and strong wind tore up the mountains, shattered rocks in the presence of the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after that wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And after that fire, there was a gentle whispering voice. And it came to pass as soon as Elijah heard the gentle whispering voice, then he wrapped his face with his cloak and he stood still at the opening of the cave. Elijah calls to the Lord as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of multitudes. He can call on bugs to be in his army. He can call on stars. He can call on dust. And he has thousands and thousands of angels he can call on. Elijah had seen a great showdown, but it didn't move the hearts of the people, did it? So God comes to him, boulders just crashing, boom, and shattering. There's some power, fire, earthquake that can swallow up a city. But that's not where God is. That's the law, brothers and sisters in Christ. And the thing we got to remember about the law, yes, it tells us God's holiness. But the law always accuses. And so if you are a sinner, and every one of us are, then the law is always damning us. It's always there with its power, not to help you keep it, but to say you've sinned and you're damned to hell. That's the power of the law. And that was not where God was found that day. He was found in the gentle whisper. Why are you here, Elijah? Why do I bring this up? When we're burned out, when you're working with a brother or sister in Christ who feels like their work in the Lord is in vain, do not confuse the work of the law with the gospel. The law is not what brings people to church. If it does, it brings them by kicking them in the rear. And as soon as they're done being kicked or as soon as they start to say, ouch, they're going to start ignoring that or develop a callus to it. It's the good news of salvation in Christ. It is the gentle whisper. Your sins are forgiven. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. 
It's Jesus Christ who knew that if your salvation depended on keeping the law, you were going to go to hell. And so he took on human flesh and he kept the law for you. And to remove your sins, he went to the cross and he suffered the hell you and I deserve. And as true God, he managed to get it done in a few hours time on the cross and rose for you. Lots of times what burns people out is when they're pounded over the head with the law. I've had more than one person confess to me that one of their parents didn't go to church. The other one brought them to church. And well-meaning church members came to them with the accusation of the law, although it was coated with sugar. Oh, oh, it would be so nice if your spouse was here. You think the person doesn't know that their spouse isn't in church? They were using the law pointing out a problem. And I've had more than one person admit, so many years dad got tired of hearing that mom's not in church. Or mom got tired of hearing that dad's not in church. And they quit coming. When the law accuses and the sin is never removed, we develop a callous. Only the gospel will motivate us. Only the good news of salvation in Christ can inflate somebody who's so deflated. And when you see somebody on the council or a Sunday school teacher or somebody who enjoys doing some service in the church and they're burned out, if you go up to them and tell them, you're not doing the job you promised to do, that's the law. They'll say, fine, I quit. Give them the healing balm of the good news of salvation in Christ. Always remember, our work in the Lord is not in vain. Do not confuse the work of the law with the gospel. The gospel motivates. The gospel makes alive. The law always accuses. So we're told, and pay very close attention, the voice came to him and said, What is there for you here, Elijah? Then Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of multitudes, because the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And so I alone remain all by myself and they're even seeking my very existence in order to take it. Then the Lord said to him, go, return to your way on the wilderness of Damascus. Then enter it and anoint Hazael for king over Aram, and you will anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, for king over Israel, and you will anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, for a prophet in your place. And so it will be that the one who slips away from the sword of Hazael, then Jehu will put him to death. And the one who slips away from the sword of Jehu, then Elijah will put him to death. Do you get it? He's anointing somebody else king over Israel. God's done with Ahab. Jezebel's going to get her comeuppance. She'll fall out of a window and the dogs will lead up her remains. But there's a thing here with with those two, with kings. God says, yes, I will punish those. And I'm even going to use the government to be my sword. In their case, God is going to let the nation of Israel know. And those who have led them astray, he's had enough. But there's something different about anointing Elisha to be a prophet. And Elisha will do a lot of miracles like Elijah did. Elisha will, like Elijah, have the law and the gospel. And the sword here is proverbial. There are those who God comes with his word and they deny the word. In which case the law stands as their judge and says you are damned to hell. And that will ultimately happen on judgment day. God disciplines those he loves. But Elisha will also proclaim the gospel. And there will be those, and to give a New Testament example, like Saul who's persecuting Christians, that the word of the Lord slays by giving them a new man and giving them faith. 
So when you feel like that person who's always that stone in your shoe and doing work for the Lord, that they're always in the way, they're always being problems, recognize God leaves no sin unpunished. We're blessed to live in a government that really doesn't persecute or take our lives or arrest us for being Christians. But you know what? No government's ever gotten away with it forever in, in human history. God always ends up toppling those governments. So, our work in the Lord is not in vain. Do not confuse the work of the law with the gospel, but know that God leaves no sin unpunished. And the comfort for you there is that God took the punishment for your sins. We proclaim the law to show people they need a savior, that they are condemned, but we proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ to show them the one who actually takes their sin away by taking the punishment for their sins upon themselves. That's what happened to Saul. That would be the Apostle Paul. That's what happens for you. And many times, that's also why we continue with our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging them even when they're burned out. Even burnout can be a sin. Sometimes the cure is to simply say, God loves you. And he's removed that. So our work in the Lord is not in vain. Do not confuse the work of the law with the gospel. And no, God leaves no sin unpunished. It's whether you bear it or whether Christ bears it for you. Only one gives you eternal life. But the last part and the most fascinating part of this text is verse 18. Yet I preserve 7,000 in Israel, all of whom have not bowed their knees to Baal, all of whose mouths have not kissed him. It's interesting. Elijah seems to forget that there's the prophet Obadiah, who's also working in Israel. He's not the only prophet left. Elijah could not read people's hearts. He did not know. I've used you, Elijah, to help encourage and preserve these 7,000. As a pastor, I've had that joy of working with kids whose own parents seem to work against me at times and keeping them in the faith. And I've had the privilege when they're in their 20s, a decade later, of having them call me and say, Pastor, feed me with the gospel. We can't always see the work in the heart of a person. Elijah couldn't, but be confident and be assured the effects of the gospel cannot always be seen. Let me give you an example. We have a website. We have a website in which sometimes our, our member who does that will share with me the numbers and there'll be a sermon in which 800 people in another country listen to it. We might not see 100 people come to our church in Casper, but the Lord is doing the work he wants it to do. And of course, you have grown to know the story where during a COVID shutdown, some people called me and said, we're having some problems because they were listening to sermons on that website. The effects of the gospel cannot always be seen. You've got to leave that to the Lord and trust that he is working through his word as he promises to do. Have you known burnout serving the Lord? Have brothers and sisters in Christ often been the, the problem? Know that our work in the Lord is not in vain. It's easy to avoid burnout by not confusing the work of the law with the gospel. And don't let your brothers and sisters in Christ do that to you either. But also feel comfortable when the work seems to be fighting a city council or fighting against somebody who's not Christian. God leaves no sin unpunished, but rejoice that your sins were punished and paid for in full because they were placed upon your Savior. And know the effects of the good news of salvation in Christ the gospel cannot always be seen. Amen.
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, you are wise and powerful, good and gracious. Your mercies are new every morning. Each day you open your hand and provide for the needs of your children on earth. We praise you for every grace and blessing. Strengthen your church in all the world. Let your comforting message of salvation in Christ Jesus be proclaimed to troubled souls everywhere. Use our ministries and offerings to extend your healing and your hope. We bring you our requests for the various structures of our society. Bless our national, state, and local governments. Grant us civil servants who are worthy of honor and respect. Grant prosperity to our businesses and industries. Give employers a sense of fairness towards their workers and employees a feeling of joy and pride in their workmanship. Help us find satisfaction in all work well done. Invigorate the schools of our land. Give success to every effort that helps students read, think, and communicate in ways that will promote an informed and responsible citizenry. Arouse curious minds to discover the wonders of your created order. Give us teachers and students who pursue excellence. Strengthen the families of our country. Give fathers and mothers a renewed commitment to be good parents. Give children and young people the wisdom to regard their parents as your representatives. Lead us to love one another as you have loved us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the protection you have given to our church over the COVID virus. And as family of ours was exposed to it we, and are self-quarantining to keep the rest of us safe, we pray that you let them not have contracted it and keep our church safe. As we're about to start our school year, and it's very important for our children to be able to learn together, we also ask that you keep the children of our community safe. We ask you as the nominating committee meets this week that you bless their efforts and that you move those who are nominated to the council positions to seriously consider serving you in that capacity. As our council will meet again this week to discuss the governance of our church in good stewardship, we ask you also to give us a, a unity and a resolve that we have always had in you to seek the good of our congregation. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, we pray boldly as Jesus taught with the confidence that you will hear and with the faith that you will respond for our welfare. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.